Hi, this is co-managing editor Rashmi Basu. Welcome to our latest DebtWired podcast. This episode features the return of Jeffrey Stevenson, managing partner of VSS. In this episode, we delve into the current bout of volatility and what it means for the private credit market. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being here with us. Last time we spoke in December 2021, it felt like a completely different world. What is your take on the current state of the market? And are we headed into a distressed cycle? Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Certainly dramatic changes since the last time we spoke. No question that we're going into a period of higher default rates and greater un- uncertainty. You know, our view is that the low rates that we've had for such a long period of time have allowed weak companies to highly leverage and those highly leveraged companies that won't be able to sustain this current state of the marketplace and potential of going into a downturn will have problems and will cause default rates going forward. You can see that in the broadly syndicated loan market where yields have increased substantially, almost double. So we, we see, you know, obviously, inflation continue to be elevated, but probably for a continued period, surging energy, all of that suggests higher yields going forward. And then the other contributing factor, of course, is, is the Fed and jacking up rates to fight inflation. And if that goes on for a long time, those rates will continue to be elevated and, and go higher. And you can also see that in the collapse of, of M2 growth, uh, which was 30% last year and now is you know, down to 4%. So I think all that contributes to a difficult market currently and going forward. What does a distress cycle then mean for the private credit markets, especially as we see the public market shutting down and an increase in the cost of capital? Well, the distressed uh, cycle for private credit is going to you know, certainly end up meaning that we're going to have uh, improved terms and covenants uh, for new deals. That's a general statement uh, for the marketplace. But I think for private credit, it's also going to spell more opportunities. Private credit is fairly nimble, and there are lots of different types of strategies within private credit. That's a bit of a blanket to throw over. That marketplace and some funds like ours can be very flexible. And, you know, this could be an interesting market in terms of new opportunities. So do you think then that volatility is good for the private credit markets? And how would this distressed cycle be different from other cycles? Well, we do think that volatility is good for private credit, you know, particularly a fund like ours where we're really patient capital. We're looking at the long term and how we build companies and apply our capital for growth. And that will end up meaning that we'll have more attractive add-on acquisition opportunities at lower prices for those platforms that we invest in. Probably not as good for some of the providers such as BDCs that are much more market driven and will have a hard time if they're trading below their book value to raise new capital. I also think that it expands our opportunity set, whereas beforehand we might have been competing uh, at the higher end of our range with BDCs and other unitronch type providers probably means we can expand up in terms of what we're doing. 
But as a general matter, we're pretty flexible in terms of how we structure deals. We're doing a combination of debt and equity. So that's a differentiator. Uh, as far as how the this market is different from from prior markets, you know, on the positive side, the banks are their balance sheets are in a much stronger position. You know, certainly the last downturn was a fairly short duration. We'll see how this one plays out. I think on the negative side, the the Fed is, doesn't have the same ability to respond. You know, recently the National debt was announced at 31 trillion. That's now 125% of uh, GDP. That's significantly higher than where it was beforehand. Obviously, we've got inflation at high rates, which we didn't have beforehand. And for the Fed to respond, if it did uh, in the way that the UK did recently, of course, that was more fiscal, that you can see how the markets would respond to that. I think for us, we generally have lower leverage in our capital structures. So we're not as concerned about those covenants being so tight that we don't have the headroom to be able to respond to to a downturn. Over the years, VSS has shifted its focus to healthcare education and tech-enabled business services. How has the rise in labor costs and inflation impacted labor-intensive sectors such as healthcare? Well, we have shifted and uh, we have shifted into healthcare, education, and tech enabled business services, as you mentioned. Some of those, such as healthcare, would be healthcare IT, which would not be as labor intensive. Healthcare services would be education. We tend to invest more in ed tech. And obviously, tech enabled business services is less labor intensive. But in general, we are definitely seeing a fairly significant rise in terms of labor costs. So that has impacted the EBITDAs of some of our portfolio companies, both in terms of how we attract people and how we retain them. So that's, that's a factor, and we're continuing to see that. For new deals, it requires a run rate type of analysis, meaning that if there's an EBITDA on a trailing 12-month basis, that may not have baked in some labor cost increases. So you really have to look at EBITDA on a real-time basis because that may impact the EBITDA based upon which you're pricing the deal. I heard an interesting statistic recently that so-called quitters, people who are just quitting their job and just jumping over to a new job, that the average increase that they are getting is uh, over 8% going to a new job. So Notwithstanding the anticipation of a recession, we're definitely continuing to see this upward pressure on on labor costs. So how are you positioning yourself for the remainder of the year for a Q? Do you see opportunities increasing given the growing likelihood that so many companies were run out of cash? We, uh, we do see more opportunities. I think our type of fund has done well in both good markets and difficult markets. And we've been doing this and investing through a number of different cycles. But on the other hand, much of what we're doing is the same. We're, we're investing in the same industries. We think that healthcare, education, and tech-enabled outsourced business services is, is more resilient and less impacted by a downturn. So our industries remain the same. Our strategy, which is to back entrepreneurs and build businesses through add-on acquisitions and gain economies of scale through that process, is the same. I think that 
the add-on portion of it will be enhanced because we'll be able to make those add-ons at better, more attractive valuations. Backing entrepreneurs is the same. We see a number of opportunities where entrepreneurs are not ready to sell. I think that that, if anything, will will increase in the current environment because those valuation multiples will go down. And as a result, some entrepreneurs will want to instead raise capital to continue to grow their business for the next three to five years. And that's really how we want to position ourselves and have positioned ourselves with our strategy is to provide is to be a capital partner and provide a combination of debt and equity to facilitate that growth. And then finally, I would say that the structured nature of what we're doing is the same. Again, combining debt and equity, having lower leverage in our capital structures. So we see more opportunities, but on the other hand, we are doing much of what we've done in the past. One of my favorite examples of backing entrepreneurs of of late in terms of a deal we've done is in the is in a roll-up of a dental platform that specializes in the endodontic space. That's called Specialty One. They're also focused on the perio market and oral surgery. And when we started with them, they had six clinics, six practices. That was a little less than three years ago. And now we're up to 190. If we can do that through add-on acquisitions, then I think we'll do extremely well. And that's really, at the end of the day, what we're looking for is the ability to back entrepreneurs that can be successful like that, see a market opportunity where they can consolidate and we can provide capital to help make that happen. Given the volatility in the market, so are you asking for more equity in these type of financing deals than in prior deals that you would have done? Well, we've always uh, asked for uh, equity. Our strategy has always been a combination of debt and equity. So that hasn't really changed. Our structures are flexible to fit the situation that we're investing in. And our leverage, again, tends to be lower than the leverage loan market almost by half. Our, Our leverage ratios tend to be three to four X, and then we're investing both debt and equity. So the structuring really hasn't changed very much, and we've always had covenants, so we're not the type of capital provider where we're only doing covenant light deals, uh, for example. So what, what I like about our strategy, among other things, is that if you're a pure debt, then you have, by definition, a capped upside, whereas if we're a combination of debt and equity, then yes, you can have a company that becomes stressed for for various reasons, but then you also have upside as well. You had mentioned valuations. Are valuations coming down in particular for the tech industry and have Lauren valuations impacted your investment thesis? Valuations for the private market tend to lag the public market, and that seems to be a historical pattern. I'd say we're just now beginning to see a crack in the market from a valuation point of view. And you're beginning to see some hesitancy from the banks in terms of some of these syndicated loans. Obviously, you've got the Citrix example that's out there. So we're now, I'd say, just really recently beginning to see processes that are failed because they have gone out with higher expectations and 
the market has not met those expectations. So I think we're kind of dealing with it in real time. But I'd say just really recently, we're beginning to see those multiples come down a bit. How would you describe the 2022 investment environment for the middle market space? Well, 2022 has been markedly different than 2021. 21, you had incredibly high level of M&A. A lot of that was push from sellers to get deals done before the end of the year in anticipation of tax changes. 22 is completely different because you know some of those deals arguably were pulled forward into 21. So we saw a slowing in, in 22. And then, of course, you've got geopolitical issues, you've got macroeconomic issues. So it's a much slower, much more uncertain, dicier environment in 22 than it was in 21. We saw the proliferation of private credit in 2021. Has the landscape become more competitive in terms of deal making? The private credit market has developed a lot over the years, and it's definitely become more competitive. There are many more funds that are out there, which makes it important to be differentiated. So the way we position ourselves has always been that we specialize in a certain set of industries. We focus on the lower end of the middle market, and we have the strategy where we're primarily providing capital to entrepreneurs to build their business, uh, oftentimes where it's not a change of control transaction. The entrepreneur doesn't want to sell the business, but still instead wants to bring on a, a capital provider. So as competition increases, that differentiation just becomes more important. Have you seen an overall de-risking in the private credit market? We are. Again, this is real time. We're just seeing it fairly, fairly recently. And you're seeing it in the leverage loan market and the, and the increase in the dramatic increase in, in the spreads. But I also say what we're seeing really is the anticipation of a downturn. And as a consequence, those spreads anticipating higher default rates. And so as a result, some deals are difficult in terms of their syndication. Some deals have got lower leverage. The market overall is charging higher yields. So we're, we're, debt. we're seeing that and we expect to continue to see that. And again, I'd say for us, because we're at the lower end of the middle market, we're not participating really in the broadly syndicated loan marketplace. And we're able to be flexible in terms of how we structure these deals and have lower leverage. I think that that's just going to spell more opportunity for us. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your outlook on the market. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please follow us on Spotify and catch us on the Ristia platform.